Are you looking for a podcast today? With ornithology and humor you crave? Well, I know all these guys and it's birds they like. It's dirty birds. Yeah, they're just a couple guys who really like birds. It's dirty birds. Yeah, they're pretty dirty, but they really like birds. Hello, and welcome to Dirty Bird Podcast. I'm John, and today is part one of a two-part episode on one of my favorite bird species, barred owls. For this episode, I interview wildlife research biologist Peter Singleton about barred owls encroachment on spotted owl environments and the conservation crisis surrounding it. Enjoy the show. Um, Okay, great. Um, So let me kind of do, like, I guess a little introduction thing so I can put it in. Uh, um, All right, so uh, I'm here talking with Peter H. Singleton. He's a research wildlife biologist um, and is here to talk about his studies with barred owls and spotted owls um, and just studying the nature in general um, out in the Pacific Northwest. Um, Peter, would you mind uh, introducing yourself and and talking about yourself a little bit? Sure, John. Um, So yeah, my name is Peter Singleton. Um, I'm a research wildlife biologist with the U.S. Forest Service Pacific Northwest Research Station out of Wenatchee, Washington. Um, we do research on ecology of dry forest ecosystems and the things that are going on in this drier west east side of the um, of the Cascades uh, in in this this area of uh, Washington and Oregon. Um, you know, I'm not sure if folks are familiar with the way the Forest Service is put together, but um, there is a distinct separate um, research branch of the Forest Service. So we're a totally different organization than the folks that, that actually manage the, um, the, the national forests. We, we do the research side, we, pro- we produce the science that then informs the landscape managers on the ground. Right, that's awesome work. Um, it sounds very rewarding. Um, I'm a little bit jealous I didn't make that as a um, career choice because uh, through reading your um, your paper that really interests me for this episode was uh, barred owls and northern spotted owls in the eastern Cascade Range of Washington. Um, and it's your dissertation paper for Doctor of Philosophy, is that correct? Well, it's a PhD, yeah. It's, it's, it's a PhD in, in, in forest resources with an emphasis on wildlife from University of Washington. Great. And um, it was a really informative, um, helped fill me in kind of uh, what's going on with spotted owls and barred owls. Um, and then also, I really, uh, probably my favorite section was like your methods section, because you're talking about going out in uh, snowmobiles and skiing um, out in the Cascades to uh, do some of your research. Um, and so uh, it was it was really cool to read. Um, would you mind talking a little bit about kind of the overarching conflict with barred owls and spotted owls in the Pacific Northwest? Wow. Yeah. Um, so the place to start is 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 talking about you know barred owl um, and spotted owl historic distribution in North America. So you know back um, prior to the turn of the 20th century, barred owls were primarily located. Um, east of the Rocky Mountains, you know, they're pretty, pretty common in a lot of areas in, um, in the forests of, of the eastern U.S. You, you probably see them a lot around, around your country there in the, um, in the mountains, West Virginia and, and um, southwest Pennsylvania and stuff. Um, but then, and then, then on the west coast, um, we had a real similar species, the spotted owls, um, that was dis- distributed through, uh, from British Columbia south through the Cascades of Oregon and Washington into um, into uh, Northern California. Okay, um, there are three different subspecies of spotted owls um, here in Washington, Oregon, and Northern California. We have the northern spotted owl um, through the Sierras in Central and Southern California. They have the California spotted owl. And then in um, in New Mexico and down into Central Mexico, there's the Mexican spotted owl. Okay, so um, they're they're really cool 
um, sort of medium-sized owls. They're um, in the genus Strix, so they're sort of the forest owls. Um, and barred owls and spotted owls are, are, are very similar um, co-generers. They're both in that genus Strix. Um, and they're, they're pretty similar in size. Barred owls are a little bit bigger um, than spotted owls. And uh, like I said, historically, you know, they were, they were not in the same places. They were, they were not what we call sympatric. They didn't, they didn't overlap in their mm -hmm. distribution, except for in the very southern range of the Mexican spotted owl, where the, um, the, the biggest subspecies of barred owl overlapped with the smallest subspecies of spotted owl. So that's kind of a that's kind of a cool little little niche overlap thing that we can get back to later on. Cool. But, um, but what what happened was was through the early part of the 20th century, somehow or another, barred owls expanded their range, and they got up into the boreal forest in Canada. And eventually, by the 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 50s or so, they were started to be to be found in um, in the the forests of the Rockies, um, first in Alberta, and then getting down into Montana. And then by the 70s, they started to show up in the Cascades of Washington. And now they're distribu distributed all the way down into the central Sierra Nevada range. Okay, so what's happened is we've got this, this species of really, um, really similar, uh, closely related owl that's um, moved out into the range of the northern spotted owl and now completely overlaps um, that range. Okay, and you know, it's a, it's, it's a challenge because um, the barred owls are a little bit bigger. They tend to be more aggressive. They have a real different, um, well, they have a, a, some, a somewhat different ecology in the sense that, um, that they are um, a lot more of a habitat and prey generalist than spotted owls. Um, right. So there's, there, there are some issues with, um, with barred owls displacing spotted owls. Okay. And the spotted owl population has has just not been doing very well in the last mm -hmm. uh, couple of decades, and so so there's 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 some real substantial challenges there. You want to keep on yeah. going, or do you want to ask me some questions? Because I can keep on talking about this for a long <laughs> time. Well, I am I am fine with you talking, but I did I definitely want to um, interject a little bit here. Uh, when you talked about the generalist uh, diet of the barred owls, um, I I found in your dissertation you. Um, uh, kind of proved this by uh, looking through the pellets of barred owls and um, spotted owls, and uh, you found that these barred owls had uh, mainly ground um, prey and a, a bigger diversity than the spotted owls in their pellets. Can you talk about sifting through the pellets of, uh, of barred owls and also the spotted owls, just kind of the crazy things you found? Well, really, I can't because I didn't do that work. Oh, okay, sorry. <laughs> there, there were other folks that, that did the did the prey analysis stuff. Um, gotcha. You know, I mean, I've poked around in a lot of a lot of a lot of owl pellets in my time, but but that wasn't that wasn't one of my one of my my parts of the project. Okay. Um, but you know, what what we were interested in was figuring out you know what what was going on in terms of these interactions between spotted owls and barred owls you know and one of the things that i did was you know um i went out and i i put radio tags on barred owls and followed them around and looked at the kind of space that they were using and what i found in my study area on the eastern cascades was that barred owl home ranges were a lot smaller than than the spotted owl home ranges around here oh. okay and what appears to be going on is that the barred owls are are prey generalists where they'll feed on a whole variety of different ground dwelling prey like you talked about so they're you know when when the folks that did the um the the prey analysis scott gremmel and dave weens um really dug into that stuff you know they found that um that you know barred owls were, were eating anything you know they mm -hmm. they um they would pull snails out of streams they'd they'd eat you know salamanders and you know of course the typical sorts of small mammals whereas spotted owls are really pretty much prey specialists um they like the medium-sized mammals that live in the in the forest canopy so they're 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 really closely related to um to to 
northern flying squirrels and and wood rats as the primary yep. primary prey biomass um, species. You know, so it's, that's a really different different kind of approach. And so what happens is the the spotted owls have to cover a lot of territory to find those really high profit food items. Okay, whereas barred owls can really concentrate their activity in a much smaller area. Um, and they just take take advantage of of whatever's there, okay. So that's kind of that's kind of one of the one of the interesting pieces of the difference between the two species. Does um, their generalist diet factor into their um, choice of habitat? Because I I was reading that uh, while the uh, preferred habitat between barred owls and spotted owls overlaps a lot, um, you've found barred owls uh, tended to be in um, flatter areas with a less than 16% incline while um, spotted owls were in uh, more sharper inclined areas? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, um, yeah, we, what we found was that, you know, when we compared the places where we had historic spotted owl sites um, in the Eastern Cascades to the places where we were finding barred owls, the barred owls were really, really associated with, you know, um, really highly productive forests and valley bottoms. They tended to be a lot more moist forests than some of the places where, where we were finding spotted owls. Um, and, you know, there was, there was this pattern of, um, of the barred owls liking the flatter lower slopes and the spotted owl sites being located on slightly steeper mid-slope set, uh, settings. And Julie Jenkins and, and Dave Weens again, you know, found some similar stuff um, some similar kinds of patterns in 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 um, the Oregon Coast Range too. You know? Okay. So so there's there is a little bit of a a pattern there, but the challenge is figuring out what that means, you know. Mm -hmm. And when I looked at at um, how well the spotted owl sites persisted in those places that were more different than the barred owl sites, what I found was that, that they really didn't stick around any better than the places that were good for barred owls. Okay, so what we saw was a lot of, a lot of spotted owls started showing up in those mid-slope settings through the, the mid-90s when we were doing a lot of spotted owl survey work. Uh-huh. Okay. Which was also a time when the barred owl population was really rapidly increasing around here. Okay, but um, over time, those spotted owl sites in those settings didn't really persist any better than any place else. So what appears to be going on is that you know the spotted owls got pushed out of that prime habitat, which was oh. lower down mm -hmm. and you know more productive, um, and the barred owls took that stuff over and push the spotted owls up into this more marginal habitat where, you know, they've been able to kind of hang on, but it's really not a pretty picture. And of course, if they're pushed to more marginal habitat, then they're even more prone to decline if a barred owl moves up there or if uh, with changing climate or deforestation. So it, they're really kind of being put on the tip of a precipice, literally. It's yeah, it's a tough, it's a tough spot. You know, it's, it's, it's this this issue of niche overlap and niche displacement, you know. Um, and of course, around here, the thing that that we've been experiencing a lot in the last last couple of decades is wildfire, you know. And those yeah. upper slope um, positions where you know you've got the kind of diverse old forest messy structure that spotted owls like, you know, those are the places that that are really susceptible to fire. You know, so that's a that's kind of a double whammy for the birds. Yeah, and that was one of my original questions reaching out to you was with the recent wildfires um, out west. How uh, have you seen areas where you used to study um, been impacted? Um, and kind of what are you thinking is going to be the long term impact on spotted owls from these uh, terrible wildfires? Well, um. We've certainly seen a lot of fire in the Eastern Cascades over the last 20 years. You know, mm -hmm. um, I live I live in Leavenworth, Washington. You know, and we had we had our first really big fires 
in this landscape um, in 1994. Okay, and we've you know we've seen um, an increasing number of large fires in an increasing area burned over the years in the Eastern Cascades. Um, you know what we do know is that wildfire is the primary cause now of spotted owl habitat loss on federal lands. Um, mm -hmm. So you know there there are issues there, but it's also a really complicated thing because you know these forests on the east side of the Cascades are are adapted to to, to be burned. I mean these are these are fire frequent fire forests. Yeah. And and there's you know fire fire is an important part of these ecosystems. Okay. Um so you know fire doesn't necessarily always have to be bad for spotted owls. You know spotted owls have been on this landscape a long time and that and fire has always been here. What we have seen happen is you know, from a combination of factors, we're seeing more big fires that um, take away all the trees all at once across pretty mm -hmm. broad, broad landscapes. So when we have these these big intense fires that that sort of simplify the landscape, um, that's that's not a good thing for a forest owl. Okay, if you have a low intensity fire that comes in and maybe burns out some of the understory that increases the the structural diversity and spatial diversity in in an area, you know, that can that can actually be a good thing. You know, it can it can improve the product productivity of the understory. It can create more species diversity. Um, you know, it can kill a few trees that create standing snags that are good for flying squirrels, um, you know. So it's all it's all a matter of degree, okay. And the degree to which fire promotes diversity can be good for a variety of wildlife, not just you know, not just spotted owls, but but you know we see species diversity in post-fire forests sometimes go up when um, when there's a lot of residual patchiness and a lot of a lot of diversity. Um, mm. But what happens when we have these really intense very large fires is it can it can really really seriously simplify the landscape and it can create a very sort of monotonous condition across the landscape that's just not very good for a whole lot of stuff you know and even even the um the species that we think of as fire dependent the the black back black backed woodpeckers and things like that you know fires can be too hot and too intense for them too um, and when you get the right. really big, big fires that burn up big swaths, it's it it just it can set you up for for a loss of of diversity at a variety of scales. Gotcha. So yeah, I'm, that that natural cycle of the fire uh, is part of what the spotted owls, you know, evolved to cope with up in the Pacific Northwest and, and thrive with. But um, with uh, fire management. Uh, strategies previously where we were pretty much preventing all the forest fires and then um, allowing a lot of the understory to grow up. Now these, uh, and I'm probably oversimplifying this a ton, but now when we get fires, they have just so much fuel, they're burning up the trees, they're not able to be resilient um, and uh, kind of destroying uh, large swaths of area, like you said. Um, I will, yeah, I was wondering, there, there's a whole oh, bunch go of ahead. stuff. Oh, here, yeah, I'll jump in on, on that one because I think it's it's a real interesting topic, you know, and and I think that you know sometimes we we don't give it the um, the attention that it's worth, you know, um, you know I think the first thing is to realize that that the forests in the Pacific Northwest are really really diverse, you know, so we have pretty wet forests on the west side of the Cascades and pretty dry forests on the east side because the, the moisture comes in off the ocean and, and it, you know, it rains a lot on the west side, but then the moisture is gone out of the clouds by the time it gets to the east side and, and things are dry over here. So on the east side of the, of the Cascades, you know, we had, we had forests that historically had fire, 
you know, maybe even as frequently as every five or 10 years in some places, you know, wow. and, you know, um, so, you know, 35, 50 year fire return intervals were not uncommon. Um, hmm. On the west side of the Cascades, where it's a lot more moist, it's a very different picture where you have very infrequent fire. You know, a lot of the forests on the west side of the Cascades would burn, you know, maybe every 500 years, you know, and, and so it's a, it's a very, it's a very different fire regime. Okay, so when we talk about fire regimes, we're, we're talking about the combination of the frequency and the intensity of fires. So on the east side, we would have more frequent fires that were lower intensity, but on the west side, we'd have very infrequent fire that were high intensity. Okay. Okay. So on the east side, you know, where we used to have lots of fire, what we've, what we've done is we've, 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 we've stopped, we've stopped a lot of that from burning, you know, and, um, and I think one of the things that, that's really interesting around here is that, you know, a lot of those fires historically were started by people, you know, people have been the, the, the primary cause of, of fire on this landscape for the last 10,000 years. You know, and a lot of those fires were were intentionally set for purposes of of maintaining, you know, safety and providing campsites that were safe from raiders or enhancing food, enhancing food resources or things like that, you know, and and so fire has always been an important tool for people living around here. When you're when you're talking about people, is that the Native American populations of the uh, Pacific Northwest? Yeah, uh huh, yeah, yeah, the folks mm -hmm. that were living here ten thousand years ago. Yep. <laughs> you know, um, yeah, you know, so so you know those people, you know those people both intentionally and unintentionally started fires with some some regular frequent frequency, you know. Um, cool. And you know what we've done in the last hundred years on this landscape is we've we've just we've stopped burning, okay. Mm -hmm. And you know, at the at at the early part of the twentieth century, you know, we sort of took on this this idea that that you know fire was too dangerous to allow and we wanted to wanted to put all the fires out and and that made a lot of sense at the time you know fire in the early part of the 20th century you know was really dangerous you know the combination of the forestry practices at the time that were leaving a lot of slash on the ground and mm -hmm. um some of the big big fire events that we had um you know the what they call the the big burn in 1910 through through eastern Washington and and Montana was a really catastrophic event. There were some really big, scary fires that killed hundreds of people in the Midwest in the in 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 um, Michigan and and Wisconsin in the late 1800s. Um, you know, there were some really big, scary fire events that that caused us to change our ideas about how we should, you know, deal with fire on these landscapes. So, you know, it, it seemed like a good idea at the time and we were very effective <laughs> with it. Um, yep. <laughs> fortunately, we're left with this legacy of, um, of, you know, a lot of, a lot of fuel that's built up in these places. Okay. And now you couple that with climate change and you couple that with increasing drought effects from longer summers and hotter days and it becomes really challenging you know we've we've gotten out right. of that adapted fire pattern window that that we were in historically and we've also amplified the the challenges of um you know drought and um and decreasing fuel moisture levels and things like that which leaves us leaves us set up for some 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 big events and are you aware of any role of fire in uh, this uh, kind of battle between barred owls and spotted owls? I'm wondering if the uh, primary growth, secondary growth forests that uh, start springing up in a previously burned area are more adaptable for barred owls, um, or if spotted owls maybe have a advantage in wildfire areas because they're used to kind of living through that, um, whereas barred owls aren't. Uh, have you noticed anything like that? Yeah, not really. Okay. You know, um, you know the, the the big story with barred owls is that you know their their niche is just a lot broader than spotted owls. Mm -hmm. you know, spotted owls are are sort of this this classic, you know, old forest associate, and and you know that's why that's why we 
we get so concerned about spotted owls in the Northwest is that, you know, we've really designed a lot of our landscape management in this, this region around spotted owl conservation and conserving spotted owl habitat. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, barred owls are, are really, you know, becoming quite abundant in a variety of, you know, habitat conditions around here, you know, sure we find them in places that were historically occupied by spotted owls, but we're also seeing a lot of them in, you know, riparian deciduous forests. Um, They've become a pretty, you know, common backyard bird in a lot of the, the suburban neighborhoods around Seattle. They're in the Seattle, you know, forest parks and, and in Portland and things like that, you know, um, over the last few years, you're, you're hearing more reports of, of, you know, joggers being dive bombed when they're running through the parks and <laughs> in, in Seattle, you know, by barred owls that see these ponytails flopping out there, you know? Um, <laughs> and so, you know, these barred owls are, 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 are occupying a lot broader area than the spotted owls occupy now, you know, and it's, it's not so much about fire, but it is about the niche breadth of um, barred owls, which again, I think comes back to that idea that, you know, the barred owls are, are, are a lot more prey generalists and, and will, will use a lot wider um, range of habitat conditions. Yeah, I think I saw, um, in your dissertation that the generalist diet of the barred owls, um, I mean, really helps them outcompete. Um, even when they're within the same area of a spotted owl, there can be twice the population of barred owls in the same area as there are spotted owls. And then I think it said also, if uh, they territorially displace the spotted owls out, then that can shoot up to seven times. So they can really make use of a small area uh, pretty productively by just eating so much. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when I started working on, on the barred owl stuff, you know, a lot of, a lot of the common wisdom about barred owls is that, you know, the barred owls would come in and they take over the spotted owl nest site and they push the spotted owls out, you know? Mm-hmm. And, I think what we're realizing is that it's it's a little bit more complicated than that and that you know what happens is you have these barred owls that come into the landscape and they set up these these much smaller territories that they defend very intensively. Um, oh, when, I was, when I was doing my telemetry work on barred owls, you know they wouldn't go into each other's territories. You know, there was hmm. there was very little territorial overlap between these these adjacent birds, you know, and the poor juveniles, boy, the juveniles that we that we put radio tags on, they were like they were like trying to just follow the edges of of of, of other home ranges, you know, and stay out of the way of of the birds that that, you know, were the territorial occupants. Yeah. So, you know, it it's a pretty pretty tough social landscape out there for those <laughs> birds man they're they're beating up on each other pretty hard wow and so what happens you know with with the spotted owls you know spotted owls around here have you know home ranges on the order of you know a couple three thousand hectares you know so so what four to forty six thousand acres um and the the uh the barred owls, you know, are much smaller, you know, they're, they're a quarter to a half that, or a quarter that size-ish, mm-hmm. you know, and so you'll get the potential to have, you know, like you said, three to seven barred owl pairs um, that set up shop within what historically was one spotted owl territory. And so, you know, what we think is going on in a lot of situations is just, the the barred owls can preclude access you know for spotted owls and a lot of that and a lot of that ground it's just it's just really dangerous for a bar for a spotted owl to go on those barred owl territories yeah i mean it sounds like it they're bigger there's more of them uh they're more aggressive yeah did you ever uh witness or hear anecdotally about barred owls um fighting with spotted owls or driving them off you know, I never did. I never did. Mm-hmm. But but there are folks that that have have tried that. You know, um, there was there was one 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 guy that actually put um, put together you know some taxidermic mounts of um, of spotted owls that had oh. um, pressure sensors in their in their heads and 
and went mm-hmm. out to to see how hard they got hit by the by the territorial territorial barred owls and yeah they they got hit really hard <laughs> wow <laughs> oh <know>? my god <laughs> um and you know the anecdote that i kind of i tell a lot you know to 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 sort of bring home that that message of the difference in the two species is you know the way we catch spotted owls and barred owls is really different you know spotted owls are spotted owls are a joy to work with they're they're these you know really mellow really you know fun uh-huh critters you know you 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 call them in and they come down and they perch in the branches above you and you know um the way that we find their nests is that we you know we feed them we feed the mice and then they carry the mice off to the nest and so after a few seasons some of these birds get pretty habituated and they'll come in when you when you get there and they'll you know they'll show you what's going on and so the way that you catch a spotted owl sometimes is that you can just kind of walk up to them with a with a fishing rod that has has a um a a loop of of nylon line at the end and you just you know drape that line around their wings and and you know you 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 gently pull them off the um the the branch and and you know hold them in your arms and do what you need to do with measurements and banding and, you know, transmitters or whatever. And then you, you, you send them on their way and, you know, nobody's, nobody's the worst for wear. Yeah. Um, with barred owls, you know, they're not like that. They're, they're, they're tough little birds, you know? And, um, and so to catch a barred owl, what you've got to do is you've got to, you've got to go in and you've got to simulate a territorial interaction. So we set up, you know, a barred owl taxidermic mount allure uh-huh. um, between two two nets, and you know we play barred owl calls to make the resident birds think there's an intruder there, and they come in to attack the barred owl, and they go into the nets, and then we catch them and can can do what we need to do. Um, but you know, it's a totally it's a totally different thing. You know, you're playing off that aggressive yeah um, <laughs> behavioral mechanism in the barred owls when you when you try to catch them and so then what is handling them like when you're putting on the um uh, radio tags are yeah, they it's a, it's a handful <laughs> um how I, are they ever kind of putting their talons on you are you wearing like protective gloves or anything like that uh, yeah you know it depends on the bird um uh-huh. you know it's always nice to have some vet wrap in your in your trap kit so you can wrap the talons <laughs> if you need to um, oh yeah you know yeah you know the, the <laughs> challenge is you know it you can't you know, usually, usually we wear wear gloves when you're first getting your hands on the bird and getting it under control in the in the net because you just want to get in there and and you know you don't want you don't want the bird thrashing around because that's how they hurt themselves. So you, you get right. you get them under control. Um, but once that happens, you really need to have bare hands to to get them untangled from the net and to to, mm-hmm. to, to do what you need to do. Um, so you know. Um, once you, once you get them into a hood, you know, we use, we use falconers hoods to, to cover mm-hmm. their, their, um, their heads and their faces. And so they can't see anything. And that, that generally calms them down quite a bit. Um, but yeah, they're, they're definitely a lot more of a handful than spotted owls. <laughs> it sounds like it. Um, yeah, I, I think I saw you, uh, tagged 14 barred owl. Was it pairs or individuals? Yeah, individuals. Didn't you have like 23 or something like that? I can't remember now. That was a long time ago. Yeah, yep, yep. (laughs) Um, And uh, I I was just wondering if you noticed any um, differences in like personality, maybe too um, anthropomorphic to throw out there, but differences in in individuals like, oh no, this one's going to be a hard fight or, oh, this guy kind of likes me, so he might be a little easier for... uh, catching and everything well i never had one that liked me but yeah some were worse than others (laughs) (laughs) we had we had one female that just wouldn't keep a keep a a tag on she 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 destroyed like three different radio tags oh Um, that's awesome she was wily huh oh she was she i think she was just this this old gnarly female that just big she was mean she she just wasn't putting up with anything and you know she had a lot of kids um so 
yeah very you know, successful I, yeah yeah you know one thing that one thing to point out there again is that you know with barred owls like with with most raptors you know you've got reverse sexual dimorphism so mm-hmm. so the females are bigger than the males um you know and and often often it's the females that that are pretty aggressive okay well um also do you mind talking a little bit about uh your adventures out while doing um, some of these studies, because I mentioned earlier, you, you talked about how uh, in your dissertation, a lot of times you would have to go out during midday because you were going through snow. You might be skiing, snowboarding, or not snowboarding, uh, snowmobiling um, or hiking uh, to get to these uh, remote spots where these owls were. Um, uh, do you mind talking about that a little bit? Yeah, sure. I mean, um, you know, we, we did, we did year round telemetry, you know, so we wanted to, we wanted to know, you know, what was going on with, with the birds, not, not just during the breeding season, but also year round to figure out, you know, were they, were they moving or they you know, sort of seasonal movements between winter and summer home ranges. Um, you know, how much bigger did the, the non-breeding season get than the, um, than the breeding season and, you know, do the, do the the mates stick together you know we really we didn't we didn't know very much at all about barred owl movements in the northwest you know prior to to my telemetry study you know there there have been other really good studies since then you know i did i my telemetry work was was 2013 well no i finished and i i I defended my dissertation in 2013 i actually was out in the field doing telemetry i think in 2003 to 2005 something like that okay um, you know, so in the, in the last 15 years, you know, the work that Dave Weens has done out on the, on the Oregon coast range and, and some of the stuff that, that folks down in the Hoopa and, and other places, um, have done, have, you know, have been, have been really good. And there's, there's some, some additional work that's ongoing, um, that have kind of, you know, gone above and beyond what I did. But, um, mine was really the second, second time anybody had hung radios on, on barred owls in the northwest and so you know there was a lot of it was it was a chance to get a lot of new information um but yeah you know what we would do is in the summer you know we'd go out and we'd you know locate birds and we'd trap them and put radios on them and then walk in you know to get locations and things like that and in the winter um you know we get a lot of snow around here so things were things were snow covered and you needed to deal with snow and in fact you know, we have this really extensive network of groomed snowmobile trails. Um, so, you know, it was really pretty, pretty easy to, to just get on a snowmobile and, and get into a lot of these sites for our telemetry. So we were doing, we were doing a lot of telemetry off snowmobiles and then we'd, we'd ski into, into sites when we needed to, to get off the groomed trails, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and so, so yeah, I mean, it's working in the winter. It was great you know I, cool I like that sounds like yeah it sounds like a, a lot of fun and a, a good day's work um do you uh and you were uh following the uh, tracking of of wherever the owl was um was there ever a time an owl was just in a really weird spot um and it was difficult to get to or a memorable spot boy um <laughs> 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 I'm trying to think of think of good stories to share there. Um, it, yeah, you know, um, they would sort of have their favorite favorite places sometimes. You know, there were there were a couple of nice, you know, in the winter there were some nice sunny ridges that they would like to they'd like to hang out on and ah. and, um, and you know um, you know in the in the breeding season you know the females would spend a lot of time right around the nests the the males would be, you know, a little bit further off. Um, you know, I can't, I can't really think of any good, good stories of, of exotic, exotic places the birds showed up. Well, I mean, it's set the Pacific Northwest covered in snow sounds exotic enough to me. Um, right now I'm actually recording from Yorktown, Virginia. Um, I moved out of the mountains of West Virginia for uh, a week to kind of enjoy the coast here. And I mean, it's sunny and 80. It doesn't feel like it's fall at all. So I can only imagine, uh, place myself where you were, you know, cold skiing out in the snow. That sounds really cool. I'm tracking down these birds. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's nice to, nice to be out in the winter. I, you know, I, 
in a lot of ways it's easier to get around in the woods in the winter when when a lot of the brush is is snow covered and stuff like that oh that's true i've always i've always been partial to winter field work (laughs) well that that sounds uh that sounds great um and uh, I, I want to move over to um, some questions here soon, because I definitely want to get to um, some of the questions uh, some listeners um, uh, put in. Um, but uh, before that kind of switch, uh, I just wanted to ask, we've talked about kind of the decline about spotted owls um, and how barred owls are involved in that. Um, uh, also some man-made um, uh, climate change, deforestation, um, those factors. What what can be done to save the spotted owls and how do barred owls factor into that as far as culling, relocating, um, that kind of stuff? Well, you know, spotted owl conservation is really focused in the past on, on habitat conservation. You know, um, spotted owls became very well known in the 80s um, due to a variety of conflicts over commercial timber harvest and mm-hmm. loss of habitat and things like that. And, and, um, and those issues are still important. You know, um, conserving spotted owl habitat is, is key for, for the species. Unfortunately, you know, we've had this, this exotic, this 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 new colonist in the area that's um, that's come in that has contributed to the decline of spotted owls and you know there's there's really good research going on right now looking at whether or not we can be um, effective in removing spotted owl or removing barred owls from some of the places where spotted owls are and providing mm-hmm. um, you know, an opportunity for spotted owls to persist uh, that way. Um, you know, it's probably in the long run going to be um, going to have to be a combination of of habitat conservation and barred owl removal if we want to keep spotted owls on these landscapes. Um, you know, the the population trends for spotted owls are are very concerning. Um, yeah, you know things are things are not looking good in in the places where where folks have been monitoring spotted owl populations. Um, and you know whether or not, as a society, we're willing to make the investment and you know feel it's ethically appropriate to control barred owls on the scale that we we probably need to in order to preserve spotted owls i think is sort of is sort of an open question i think there's some really tough choices to be made there and and what kind of scale uh would that be would that be um so culling them and would that be done by uh forest rangers because i feel like uh you know i'm thinking well what you know there's lots of barred owls why don't we let people hunt them but i feel like People, most people wouldn't be able to figure out the difference between a barred owl and a spotted owl and inadvertently kill a, a poor spotted owl. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't, you know, I don't think anybody's seriously proposing opening up hunting of, of, of barred owls. You know, I think, I think that, you know, in order for that to be effective, that needs to be a professional operation. Right. The chance of, mistaken identity you know mis- misidentifying a spotted owl um, when you think it's a barred owl is is real and also you know we don't have a tradition of sport hunting of raptors you know um mm-hmm. we you know we provide for some take of certain species of raptors for falconry mm-hmm. but you know we've never you know, we've never we've never had you know a, a a season on any raptor, and I I don't think that's a place where that people are interested in going. Yeah. Yep. You know? <laughs> so so yeah, you know, it's it's gonna be it's gonna need to be a professional staff mm-hmm. that does it. You know, um, and it's gonna be expensive. It's gonna be it's going to need to be large scale and long term, you know? Um, and those are, those are all, all important challenges that will, that'll need to be considered. 
Yep, they are. Um, and uh, let's hope and let's work towards uh, being able to do that and preserve uh, the spotted owl, this wonderful species. Um, this kind of leans into uh, one of the questions um, one of uh, listeners and also was on the show too, our, our, on a rough grouse episode, Sam. Um, she was asking about how um, closely evolutionary related the spotted owl and barred owls are. And we, we touched upon this in the beginning um, that they are both in the um, Strix uh, genus. And um, uh, they, uh, I looked up the uh, exact evolutionary divergence um, on one Zoom tree of life, which is what I use kind of for my phylogeny tree. Um, it has them splitting off about a, one million years ago. Um, and they are closely related enough to hybridize. Um, so uh, would you be able to talk about the hybridization of these species? And is that where the future of the spotted owl is going? Is that it's going to become some kind of hybrid species with the barred owl in the Pacific Northwest? Yeah, you know, good question. Um, yeah, so, you know, they are, they are, you know, cogeners. They're really, really closely related. You know, they, they were historically, you know, separated probably, you know, since prior to the Pleistocene, um, you know, by glaciation patterns and right. maybe we're, we're watching this sort of, you know, natural change in distribution, you know, happening. Um, what we have seen in terms of hybridization is that we, we do see, we do see, you know, hybridization, particularly when spotted owls are relatively abundant and barred owls are relatively rare. So hmm. you know, what happens is that, you know, barred owls will mate with spotted owls um, most frequently during the initial sort of, you know, colonization phase of, of, of population expansion. Um, but it, you know, when there, when there are lots of other barred owls to choose from, the barred owls don't, don't tend to be very interested in the spotted owls. Oh, okay. Um, you know, and so, you know, you mentioned this, this idea of, you know, genetic introgression, you know, are we seeing, you know, genetic swamping one way or another of, you know, barred owl genes into the spotted owl population or spotted owl genes into the barred owl population. And, you know, um, there's a good paper out on that by by guy named by name Miller, um, and his answer is no. You know, we hmm. we're we're really not seeing a really a really substantial amount of introgression. You know, we do see hybridization, but you know there appears to be um, you know there appear to be so many barred owls on the landscape that that it's just not leaving much of a much of a genetic genetic mark in that in that barred owl population right it's almost reminding me uh, uh with like neanderthals and humans like we have that little contribution of neanderthal uh, it's almost like the spotted owls it's a little bit in there but um hopefully they don't go the way of the uh, neanderthals uh and we're able to <laughs> To preserve them there, they're not just a genetic footprint. <laughs> yeah, the the the, the 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 Neanderthal Homo sapiens story may be may be very similar. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe we were just that much meaner and able able to win. <laughs> yeah, that's true. There's maybe some parallels here. Yeah. Um, uh, and uh, kind of speaking, you, you touched upon, is this a natural um, process of the barred owls coming in? Um, kind of through my research uh, of barred owls, um, spotted owls, with the glaciations, barred owls were, hist um, were historically um, very isolated. And then uh, with the glaciers receding, they kind of, in the past just tens of thousands of years, have really exploded. And so I was kind of wondering if this is just a natural expansion of their range or if it's the cause of um, uh, developing the Great Plains, which previously was probably a big barrier for them, and then human uh, development um, uh, allowing them to, to spread. And I, I think it's a question we haven't really figured out yet, but uh, was just interested in your views on that. Yeah, I think it's a fascinating question. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to go out and propose that I have an answer for it, but I think... I think from a philosophical bent, it's, it's, it's a really interesting conundrum. You know, what, what's natural in the first place? You know, I think, you know, from, from the perspective of spotted owl or from the perspective of barred owls, excuse me, um, you know, we know they're not starlings or quagga mussels. You know, we didn't, we didn't intentionally introduce them into this. Mm -hmm. landscape. 
and we didn't, you know, unintentionally transport them out here in bilge water, you know, um, so there's not, there's not this sort of direct human interference signature there, but there are folks that make a pretty, you know, reasonable argument that the kinds of changes that humans facilitated through the Great Plains in the late 1800s, you know, through removal of, of, you know, large herbivores and through planting shelter belts, things like that, you know, we created more, you know, forested stepping stones that allowed barred owls perhaps to, to expand through that landscape and maybe facilitated their, their dispersal, you know, who knows, we're never going to know that answer, but right. You know, um, I mean, we, we know there are a lot of other species where human-caused landscape change has, has contributed to changes in dynamics. You know, cowbirds is a good example mm -hmm. you know, where, you know, changes in livestock and, you know, land use patterns have facilitated a lot broader dispersal distribution and, and stuff. So, you know, I don't, I don't think there's really an answer as to whether or not, you know, barred owl barred owls are, are an invasive exotic or not, I, I think, you know, we're left with this sort of philosophical conundrum of, you know, what do we want? What do we yeah. society want on this landscape? Do we, yeah. do we want spotted owls or are we willing to, you know, have barred owls here and say, yay, there's a strict, strict owl in our forests, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah, it's tough. Wow. Yeah, it is. Um, and you wonder if whether this was going to happen already and just humans are accelerating uh, the process um, or if uh, or if we're, you know, maybe spotted owls would have lived in refugia, uh, kind of those sharply inclined, more marginal habitats. But because we're pushing them further and further with habitat destruction and then they may, might not be able to survive in refugia. Uh, it's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think I think we didn't. We didn't do barred, we didn't do spotted owls any favors with, you know, the the degree of of old forest logging that that happened through the 20th century. Yeah, um, um, but, but before you uh, go into that, um, Tim, uh, great friend of the show, great friend of mine, he's he's been on multiple episodes. He um, asked uh, whether human habitat destruction or the uh, barred owl territorial issues have caused the sharper drop in spotted owl populations. Obviously, it's a combination of both, but if you could kind of put a historical um, aspect on that, and uh, if you lean one way or the other, or if it's just a meld. <laughs> Can I just answer yes? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I think I think it's you know it's it's a one-two kind of issue. You yeah. Know? Um, I mean, certainly, you know, people have have changed the landscape in the Pacific Northwest, and and you know, I think you can you can make the argument that you know we've 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 done we've done the things that we do you know this is this is how we how we establish our society and we build cities and we build towns and and you know we we wouldn't exist as the society that we are if everything were the same that right was, you know 150 years ago um right you know i do think that you know there's there's a real important role for, you know, biodiversity conservation and protected landscapes and things like that. And so, you know, um, these are, you know, these are sort of the, the trade-offs involved in a modern, modern society. And we also have, you know, a legal framework with the Endangered Species Act that, that mandates, particularly for federal agencies, that we, that we maintain viable populations of these species. Mm -hmm. you know? So, so we live in we live in an environment where you know we've we've had these changes, but we're also deeply invested in in trying to make sure things persist. You know, huh. it makes me think of that saying almost like you can't serve two masters. Like we're trying to still live the kind of human life that we've been living as far as carving out our area, uh, but then we're also trying oh we should preserve these species and it's almost like you you can't really do both uh completely or we're trying to negotiate how to do both well yeah i i wouldn't you know 
I don't know. I've sort of invested my my career in not giving up on that. You know? Yeah. I yes. Mean, yeah. I think, I think oh that, no, I, I don't want to give up on them either. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think that I think that these are real challenges. You know, and especially yep. as we face issues with climate change and and you know realizing that the impacts that we've had are are much broader scale than we ever realized. Right. Um, you know, we we need to you know figure out ways of of clearly articulating what our what our objectives are and figuring out how we balance all the stuff that we want and need out of this planet. You know, that's, that's yep. sort of what, what resource management is all about. You know, we're, we're trying to get a variety of benefits, you know, mm-hmm. including aesthetic benefits and spiritual benefits out of these landscapes, you know, and, and, um, and it's, it's it's just hard to figure out how to balance it all. It is an uh, on, ongoing issue, and and you're on the forefront of helping with that, which is which is great. Um, I have a uh, another question from um, John, um, one of my good friends and listeners. Um, he wanted to ask uh, about. He, he talks about how he hears barred owls at night a lot here in Yorktown, Virginia, um, and he describes their sounds as so funky um, and really enjoys listening to them. And so he's just kind of interested in your experience with both barred owl and spotted owl calls. It sounds like you had a lot of interest with kind of calling back and forth when you were catching them. Yeah, you know, so so the way that, you know, the way that we've historically found these birds is is by going out and doing call surveys. You know, mm-hmm. so we go out and we, you know, have a, you know, boy, when I started, we would just do it by voice, you know, and, and we'd go out and we'd, you know, hoot like a spotted owl and, you know, when the birds would come in, we'd, you know, figure out where they came from and we'd go back. Are, and are you able to give your spotted owl uh, <laughs> hoot impression? I'm not sure I really want to do that. Over there. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so, you know, um, yeah, so that's 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 how you find them is is by their their vocalizations. You know, now we've gone to more um, of passive recording um, stuff mm-hmm. where we go out and we place we place um, recorders out in the woods and we try to we try to to you know um, collect hundreds or thousands of hours of recordings to document what what owl species are present and um, and that's sort of you know. Um, is the the new rate new way that we do these things but but yeah you know um vocalizations are how birds you know advertise their presence and you mm-hmm. know like we've done you know breeding bird point counts for a long time we do the same thing with uh with with barred owls um i do have a fun vocalization story if you if you want that yes of course um, you know i was i was going for a hike a few a few years ago and looked up on google's google maps this trail that i was going into and and this weird thing that popped up on uh, on Google Maps where it was the the, the Sasquatch detection database hmm. um, where you know they had all these all these Sasquatch detection points <laughs> you know on this map and I, I looked at the um, I looked at this one point that was at the trailhead where I was going to go hiking from and it was these these people that were camped at these trailheads this trailhead and they said that they had heard these monkeys these apes. <laughs> falling from the tree that was right above their their campsite and they got so freaked out because sasquatch was in this tree next to next to the campsite <laughs> that they packed up in the middle of the night and they left <laughs> and i looked at it and i looked at that location it's like oh yeah i know that pair of barred owls you know? oh that's so and, cool <laughs> and you know they give these they give these crazy you know monkey yep. You know, hoots and screeches yep. and, and hollers and just just all sort of funny, funny vocalizations. And these poor these poor folks that were camped out there in the woods were just so freaked out by it. They packed up and left. But, I, um, I have definitely been camping and wake up to hearing a pair of barred owls making incredibly odd noises. And at first, you know, I'm kind of scared. And then I'm like, oh, it's just a barred owl, you know? Yeah, yeah. They, they get really spooky. I mean, they're they're yeah. they're crazy. If you don't know what it is, it's it can be can be pretty shocking yep <laughs> um 
And uh, uh, thank you so much for talking with me. We're kind of winding down on our uh, time here. I don't want to uh, keep you up in any more than I need to. But um, uh, I kind of, as I was reading your dissertation, um, you know, it's talking a lot about the spotted owl, the barred owls. We've been talking about them a lot. Uh, and you kind of alluded to this in your dissertation, but it seems like there's also maybe a third presence um, hovering around uh, with uh, some of the larger predatory owls, um, even larger than the barred owl. Um, you make like a reference to the, the great horned owl um, scaring off the barred owl. Are there other owls influencing uh, what's going on here between the barred and spotted owl? Well, yeah, sure. There's a whole, you know, nocturnal raptor guild in mm -hmm. these forests, you know. So, you know, you've got, you've got pygmy owls and ferruginous owls and, you know, the small owls. Um, that are kind of, you know, at the, at the, the, the lower end of that, that mm -hmm. size scale. Um, you know, you've got the barred owls and the spotted owls. You've got great gray owls in the higher elevations. And you've got great horned owls in, you know, in the, the sort of mixed patchy forest. So mm -hmm. great horns are, are big. You know, yeah. um, they're they're quite a bit larger than, than spotted owls and barred owls, and they will they will predate on barred owls and spotted owls, and I, you know that's that's one of the the hypotheses for why you know the Strix owls are so closely associated with closed canopy forest is that you know it provides it provides protection from from nocturnal predators, you know, so you know we frequently see or hear barred owls you know in the in the patchy or open forest types around here um you know especially at this time of year they're they're getting going on calling um i've got a pair in my neighborhood that i hear pretty frequently right now um you know and and you know it behooves spotted owls and barred owls to to stay in some cover and stay away from those guys gotcha yeah i i was just thinking about the you know the shadow of the great horned owl um which uh uh, at least from what I've read about it out east kind of really goes after the barred owl is kind of the barred owl's nemesis. So I was wondering if areas where there's a great horned owl, if the spotted owls are almost like protected a little bit from barred owls because the great horns will drive them off, or is it just the great horn would go after the spotted also? I think the great horns go after the spotted owls. As, as okay. As the barred owls. Yeah. I don't, I don't okay. think there's any, <laughs> <laughs> any protection there. No, uh, no. Oh, drat. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't think it, I don't think it kind of works that way. <laughs> oh man. Um, well, uh, as we kind of uh, wrap things up here, just, I mean, thank you so much for uh, talking with me. Um, is there anything else uh, that I kind of missed in talking with you about this uh, spotted owl and, and barred owl um, kind of battle almost? Oh boy. You know, there's, there's lots of stuff that we can go on and on about. Yep. Um, <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't have anything in mind that, that, uh, that, that I'd, I'd chime in on, but um, yeah, it's been, been great to chat. Yeah, thank you so much. Um, and is there anything, uh, are there any, you mentioned that uh, hybridization um, uh, paper by Miller, is there any other great resources that either you've done or other people um, that uh, listeners of this podcast should check out? Well, you know, Dave Weens, um, who's a USGS scientist out of, out of uh, Corvallis, has, has really done a ton of great work on, on this stuff. Um, Damon Leschmeister, who's um, out of out of Corvallis with my organization, has also been leading up the um, the, uh, the spotted owl demography monitoring work. You know, those guys are really really the 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 top of the pinnacle. Um, you know, if you're interested in chasing down additional resources, you know, those would be those would be two names I'd I'd recommend folks go after. Great. Um, well, thank you so much for talking with me, um, Peter Singleton. Um, and uh, I really appreciate uh, you being on Dirty Bird. Yeah, you bet. Well, it's, it's great to chat. Thank you. You bet. Dirty Bird Podcast is brought to you by me, John, with our rotating panel of guests and co-hosts. Thanks for being on the show, guys. I really appreciate it. Our intro music is by Ricky Pistone, a.k.a. Dick Piston. And our outro music is by the Sidewalk Slammers. Check them out wherever you get your music. And also, check out our theme song music video on YouTube. Our cover art is done by my beautiful fiancé, Lauren. Thanks for listening. 
Send any listener mail to dirtybirdpodcast at gmail.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Jungle, I might get into a little rumble. Ain't